It's the Misdeeds and Intrigue podcast, featuring stories of royals, scandals, and true crime. Here are your hosts, Carrie and Larissa. Hey, it's Carrie, and I wanted to give you a quick little intro. Uh, the audio on this one for the first six minutes is not great. I'm just going to be honest with you. We were having some issues. You probably heard on last week's episode why it was cut shorter. However, we did get it fixed. If you'll just hang in there, you can even fast forward for those six minutes. Uh, Sorry, I also have my Invisalign in, so I have a little bit of a lisp. And then the second part of this episode was actually a previous episode that was done with Sky from Histories, Mysteries, and Conspiracies. Totally love her. I forgot how much I loved her until I was listening back to the episode. And we go into a little bit more about the Marilyn Monroe death conspiracy, which Larissa and I really talked, tried to concentrate more about the Kennedy connection. So I hope you really enjoy this. I hope my list did not completely make you turn this off. And I hope you continue to hang out with us. As far as Elaine Maxwell, our other gal, who's not really our gal, I'm still in prison, correct? Oh, yeah. I saw some pictures of her running. She's out running by the fence. She's not locked in her cell like she said she was anymore. Did she look good? Did she look fit and trim? Yeah, she looked like she was running. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. FCI Tallahassee seems pretty relaxed. The prison offers a range of activities and enrichment experiences for inmates. Much like a summer camp, according to The Guardian, prisoners can play a variety of sports like softball and basketball, do yoga, and sometimes even have talent shows. Maxwell could also choose to boost her resume by tackling any number of career development opportunities, such as learning how to be an electrician or horticulturist, the Daily Mail reports. The prison library will also enable Maxwell to continue learning Russian. That said, it's still a prison and inmates in recent years have alleged that guards at FCI Tallahassee have abused them, according to the Associated Press. An inmate at a federal prison camp like FCI Tallahassee told CNBC, But in the end, prison is prison. We are told where to be, when to be there. We're told what to eat, what to wear. Maxwell will be in prison for a good long while. She'll be eligible for parole as early as 2037, when she'll be in her mid-70s. By the way, before we get started, what are you watching and what are you listening to? Watched Indi- uh, Inside Man on Netflix, which I thought was really, really good. There are moments that make murderers of us all. Bye-bye. Cracks can open in the most ordinary life and swallow anyone at all. Everyone is a murderer. You just have to meet the right person. It's actually made by the BBC, and I think our American ones, we're, we're making those kind of series too long so it was great it was four episodes we were able to binge it in one night the other thing i just started watching did you watch um killer sally on netflix no what is that about it's about this female bodybuilder she used to be in the marines and she kills her husband and she said it was because she was being abused and normally it's not my thing to watch some of the sports ones but this one they lead you through the first two and they're talking to her and she's obviously in jail and he was also a bodybuilder too. And then when you start getting to the third one, you start realizing like all may not be as what it seems. Wait, Killer Sally? Killer Sally, you have to watch it. A jury will decide the fate of Sally McNeil, a female bodybuilder accused of killing her husband, another bodybuilder, on Valentine's Day last year. They're going to be going to a shelter because of what I did to daddy. 
Sally McNeil has a tremendous physique, and she's married to Ray she's married McNeil. to Ray McNeil, who's certainly one of the most muscular pros alive. He looked like the statue of David. He was beautiful. Lust at first sight. Sally was the main breadwinner. They were into some funny stuff. <laughs> There's a CD side of bodybuilding. Nobody talks about it. A man would pay for what was known as muscle worship. It's basically muscle prostitution. If I wrestle 10 of them, that's $3,000. Made Ray happy that it was paying for his steroids. Then he hit me. 911. I just shot my husband because he just beat me up. You shot your husband? Yes. Sally McNeil took a shotgun and blasted her husband and shot him again in the face. Sorry, I just She protected her kids like a wild animal. I remember how torturous it used to be to have to sit there and watch him abuse my sister and to know that I was next. What was the Inside Man about? Inside Man is, at first I thought it was an American show with Stanley Tucci where he's a lawyer who, or a criminology PhD that's locked in prison, but he still Uh like takes cases and the prison warden will bring him cases. And it intersects with with this family in Britain. So when you first watch it, you're like, how are all these people related? But he ends up giving guidance or taking this case on from his jail cell. It's really, really, and he's on death row. So he has like three weeks to live. So it's it's a docu series or is no? It, it's it's oh. fictional, but it's but it was refreshing because it actually had action. It wasn't dragged out for eight seasons or eight episodes. Nice. It was like in there, told the story, and basically, it, when you first start watching it, you you're watching this guy who kind of digs himself deeper and deeper. And it's not like you would do the same thing, but you almost are like, like you just see the guy just digging himself in deeper where things just get out of hand. And then you're almost like, oh, would that happen to me? Would I get out of it? Like, would I dig my, not that this particular episode, I don't think I would do anything of what he did, but just in general, you'll see, you'll see it. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So there's a lot of good stuff out there right now. Yeah. So what are you watching? Well, I've got a whole bunch on my list. I don't have much time to watch shows. So it's literally while I'm getting ready for bed at night or I can't actually sit down and watch an entire show. It's like snippets. Oh, yeah. I know we talked about a friend of the family on Peacock, which is disturbing. Yeah. I, I thought I knew that story off the podcast about Birch told and mm-hmm. Jan, what's her name? Bo, not Bogart. I forgot. They're both B names and they're both LDS. And um, yeah, it's just, it's disturbing. Like the acting in this, you know who's in it? Oh. Anna Paquin. Oh, really? And then Tom Hanks' son, I forgot his name. Colin. Uh, Colin. Oh my God. They're freaking brilliant. And the guy who plays the creepy friend of the family, I don't know who it is, but he's He's so disgusting. He's a brilliant actor because he... They always have that creep factor. He abducts you a second time when you're 14. Right. And how did that come to pass? So a year and a half after I got back, all through that year and a half, I would get notes from kids at school that would say, go to such and such phone booth on the corner of Bonneville and Center Street. Sit on the floor. The phone will ring. Pick it up at 4 p.m. And on the other end of the line, it would either be Robert Burstold or... The alien voices. Again, female companion, this is the next instruction. You know, this is what you need to do next. So this keeps up. The this same... keeps up. Mm-hmm. This is all the way through. And he appeared in my bedroom and literally opened the window and led me out of the window for 
the mission to continue, and that was the second abduction. Did he ever come to you before the night he took you? Yes, three different times he appeared in my bedroom, and I just remember he didn't have his shoes on. He was in socks, but first the box. The box would be the thing that woke me up with some kind of, you know, I was terrified of the box. That was, like, terrifying. Second in line was the rape and the sexual assault. Okay, then... In my own home, in my bedroom, in between the two kidnappings. Okay, so he actually raped you in your bedroom between the two kidnappings? Yes. He takes you out the window and you're gone again. So I was watching Blonde on Netflix, and my cousin Toby is in it, Toby Huss, and he plays Whitey, the makeup artist, brilliant actor. But it was such a heavy... I remember him telling us last summer that this was going to be a heavy one. He was working Mm -hmm. on it, and he's like, this is going to be a heavy one. And I started watching it without really thinking, well, how heavy can a Marilyn Monroe story be? I mean, it was a sad life, but... Oh, I heard this one. Was it heavy? Yes, it was super sad. So... In honor of the midterms, I thought I would go down into the JFK, Kennedy family, Marilyn Monroe connection. Mm -hmm. It's not lengthy. I'm going to tell you that right now. There's not a lot there. Okay, so as you know, Marilyn Monroe was found dead in 1962. Mm -hmm. It was a reported overdose, right? Yeah. One of the most famous stars in Hollywood history is dead at 36. Marilyn Monroe was found dead in bed under circumstances that were in tragic contrast to her glamorous career as a comic talent. On the surface, she seemed to have such a zest for life. Her international appeal took her from command appearances to the other side of the world and entertainment for Korean GIs. The star led a far-from-normal childhood and had 12 sets of foster parents leading her to say in her last interview that she was never used to being happy, so it wasn't something she ever took for granted. She never let her personal feelings interfere with her job, and she was the idol of the G.I.s, the animation of foxhole dreams. So I started to read a little bit more on this, and I wanted to know her whole relationship with JFK, and it actually wasn't too... They had only met like twice. She had met him at Peter Lawford's home early on when she was married to um, Arthur Miller. But it's not even reported if they actually met at that dinner party or if they just saw each other or, you know, the exact time of when they met is not known because they kind of just ran in the same circles. Um, And that was in 1954. There's a little bit, not to interrupt you, but there's a little bit of irony there because his dad was enamored with Gloria Swanson, the famous actress. Okay, really? Yeah, his dad. His dad was a philanderer. Oh. There's just like a little bit of irony there, you know? Well, and it's interesting because Peter Lawford was JFK's uh, brother-in-law. Mm-hmm. So uh, in 1957, lo and behold, they're both at the same ball in the Waldorf Astoria Hotel in New York. Uh, But again, they were both accompanied by their spouses. Arthur Miller and um, Jackie were there. And they also met four years later in 1961, again, at a dinner party at Lawford's Santa Monica home. But most biographers believe that the actual affair began in March of 1962 at Bing Crosby's Palm Springs house. Don't ask me what they were doing there. I'm assuming it's another Lawford party. Not mm-hmm. sure. It was Peter Lawford. Oh, sure. Peter and you and her were very, very close. The three of you. Oh, yes. 
Yes. Tell me about the affair between, I know there was no sex affair. It was a friendship affair between you three. Yes, there was never any sex. There was never, uh, Peter never approached either one of us for sex, ever. And we were all good friends. We spent a great deal of time. Three girlfriends, let's that's, say. It. That's probably what it was. Because we used to sit around and say, why doesn't he ever make a play for us? Mm -hmm. we, at, there were times when we thought something was wrong with us. And then we'd right. take a look and say, well, there must be something wrong with Peter. Peter. But we adored him. He was so cute. What kind of guy he was, was Peter? He took drugs. He destroyed But not his in life. the beginning. Not not no? in, not when we were friends with him. He never took drugs. He took it after her death. After her death. Oh sure, I'm sure he was involved in that, and he just went down the tubes. What do you think about the Kennedys and Marilyn, Bobby Kennedy? She really wanted to be the first lady. What yes. do you think happened that night? Because you spoke to her just before what? Oh, Before her death is around nine thirty. Nine thirty, and she died when? Well, they put it between twelve and three. God, just like an hour, two hours mm -hmm. before. And she how was her not, voice at that time? She sounded to you. fine. She was uh, the uh, week before. She had been very nervous because she'd been getting a lot of crazy phone calls from a woman calling right. her all kinds of dirty names. Some woman. Yes, and she could. She thought she knew. I mean, she recognized a voice, but she couldn't put a name on it. And she was nervous about that, but she had no sleeping pills when I talked to her because she, her, she was as clear as a bell. So in Donald Spotto's book, Marilyn Monroe, The Biography, Donald was her, it was her good friend and he was a masseuse, right? Well, no, actually, Ralph Roberts was her good friend. Donald is the biographer. So this is what Ralph is telling Spotto. He says that he got a call from her from a party to ask advice on giving a massage. So... Not only did Roberts supposedly hear the president in the background, I mean, this is his hearsay. He said he heard the president in the background and he said that Marilyn gave him the phone and she got to speak with JFK. Which makes sense, this whole narrative, because JFK had issues with his back his whole presidency oh. and he would get frequent massages. Yeah, he heard it during the... Uh, just so you know, I do know a little bit on this topic just because when I was growing up, my, my grandparents were enamored of JFK and had me read biographies and everything. Oh, you need to chime in then. I actually have a whole thing, whether she was like uh, on a prior episode, which is not up there anymore, whether it was intentional or not. I did it with another girl who was has a mysteries podcast. But, mm -hmm. but my grandmother, during that time of Camelot, they didn't know about his, his cheating or anything. It, that came out later, but in my family, they're Irish Catholics. So it was a huge deal when he became president. Yes, absolutely. She had given me a lot of his... Oh my God. Yeah. She had given me a lot of his memorabilia from that time period, oh. even a Lincoln okay. Kennedy penny and everything. Wow. Oh my God. So yeah. I mean, supposedly that was really only the weekend. That was the one weekend they met and Marilyn told her massage friend, Ralph Roberts, that that was it. They only had that one weekend. Mm -hmm. And Lee Strasberg actually backs that up, her acting coach and yeah. close friend. So they had that one meeting. But then on May 19, 1962, just three months before she died at age 36, Monroe was invited to JFK's birthday party and fundraiser and made herself every inch the Hollywood bombshell she had created. Mr. President, Marilyn Monroe. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday 
Mr. President, happy birthday to you. Sorry, Mr. President, for all the things you've done, the battles that you've won, the way you deal with U.S. Steel and our problems by the time we thank you so much. So that was the time I assumed they had started the affair, but it actually started three months earlier. And this was kind of like, a, oh, he wants me to come sing for him. And it's reported that his brother was actually involved in making that happen. That's what I heard, that the president was very embarrassed because it was so public and his wife was sitting right next to him. Yeah. So it's, it's, they think that Robert actually kind of arranged that because what ended up happening is Marilyn started a relationship with Robert. I went to school with one of my classmates was related to one of his kids. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. And oh, Robert Kennedy Jr. used to speak all the time at my school. That, yeah. Stop it. When he was trying to clean up the river. Oh my God. He would speak in my cafeteria like it was nothing. Like that's where they would put him like to speak when we're eating lunch. So it's crazy because people say, Spada, the biographer, told people that she apparently had sexual relations with Bobby and Jack. Mm -hmm. No one has ever confirmed that. The big one would have been Bobby, Robert. I think JFK was like, can you just handle this problem? She's a live wire. Well, apparently... It's believed that Robert Kennedy may have been at Monroe's house on the day she died, um, and there had been an argument between them. In a 1983 BBC interview with Monroe biographer and investigative journalist Anthony Summers and Monroe's housekeeper Eunice Murray, which this actually this audio can be heard in the Netflix documentary The Mystery of Marilyn Monroe, The Unheard Tapes. Okay, I'll make sure to pull that. He said there was a moment where she put her head head in her hands. Now, this is the housekeeper who was there and said words to the effect of, oh, why do I have to keep covering this up? I said, covering what up, Mrs. Murray? She said, well, of course, Bobby Kennedy was there. And of course, there was an affair with Bobby Kennedy. So this is coming from the housekeeper. Apparently, they had this big blowout fight and um, that was just a few hours before she died. So I don't doubt that I'm not so sure I believe the Kennedys had her off. Everyone, There's speculation that she was going to like come out in her mm-hmm. own words and say everything about the affairs. I think maybe the blowout was so mentally traumatic for her that, that the suicide, w- it's logical. Or she could have already been like drugged up and it was accidental. I mean, yeah. if you look at the last few months of her life, if you ever look at the outtakes of the scenes of her movies, she was having trouble on set. Yeah. I think it was just like yeah. a culmination. How do you go about writing a life story? The true things rarely get into circulation. Usually the false things. <laughs> In 1982, Los Angeles reopened the case of Marilyn Monroe's death. After 20 years, it's time to clear up this case once and for all. The interviews have never been heard until now. Well, hold your phone is clean. Everything connects with the person's life, particularly hers, you know. 
To get to people with information about the night Marilyn died, it was difficult. Let it be. I can't say anything, and I knew it all. So, yeah, you know, there are people who say, you know, Arthur Miller for the longest, no, or Joe DiMaggio for the longest time said they took my Marilyn, they took my Marilyn, and he was really leaning on the fact that the Kennedys had her killed, or even if he didn't think they physically had her killed, mentally, their mental torture on her for that brief period of time probably pushed her over the edge. So no one really knows for sure. I don't think we'll ever know that, but there are things missing. There is. So there were all these um, pictures that one of the White House photographers took, and they had never been released to the public until, you know, a couple of years ago that they had just because, you know, for years they've been going through all of her memorabilia and all these pictures have been released and audio recordings and everything. And these were never, ever released. And he had them in his possession. He did not even give them to, you know, supposedly everything that is done for the White House is kept in a vault and, you know. As a historian, it was his job to hand those over, but he kept them for his personal private use. So very interesting. What do you think? How do you think she passed? I think I'm actually bringing up my notes. I think that she was already a mentally um, ill woman. And I think that because she was already had that going on, she was very vulnerable to certain situations. And so that's what makes me kind of think that... Do I think that they did it? No. But do I think that it might have hastened things? Maybe. In the movie Blonde, and that's taken from a book by Joyce Carol Oates, it goes really dark. And that's actually a fictional account, too, which I would be upset about. So it happened, by the way, her and Kennedy were both Geminis. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, It's weird. It goes it goes dark fictional. I mean, you could take some of it and kind of extrapolate that, you know, that is possible about her father not being there when she was little and maybe having daddy issues. Yeah. But it goes dark to the point of the secret service comes in and takes her to have an abortion after she sleeps with Kenneth. I mean, it goes, it's horrific. Yeah. I mean, and many, like she had, I think two or three abortions. I don't even, that's probably not true. I don't know the history of that. So the day that she was supposed that she died, she was actually supposed to have dinner with Peter Lawford and his wife, Patricia oh. Kennedy. So at 7.30, Lawford rang Monroe. He stated she sounded depressed and slurred. She told him, say goodbye to the president and say goodbye to yourself because you're a nice guy. And then her voice faded out. And Joe DiMaggio Jr., who was her ex-husband's son, contradicted this account. He said he had phoned her at 7.30 to tell her that he was breaking off an engagement she did not approve of. And that Monroe was said to be in a very good mood. So let me ask you this. Obviously, Robert wasn't there. or So we think he wasn't there. Do you think it was a phone conversation? The Kennedys, which you had the incident with the singing was May of 1962 at Madison Square Garden. But and like there was the rumors with the brother The without knowing too much or threatening to reveal too much, the Kennedys may have been upset that she had kept a diary filled with all this incriminating information she had overheard from them. Because remember, Mm. JFK also had a girlfriend that was also the girlfriend of one of the mob bosses. And that person would pass information. And so her hairdresser had stated that Monroe called him twice, quite upset that Robert Kennedy had been at her house with Peter Lawford threatening her. The last phone call Monroe made was to the White House. Who who did she speak to? Robert Kennedy's always denied being in L.A., but in the 1980s, a police deposition came to light where he admitted being in Monroe's house with Greenson. In Sandra Sheevy's book, The Maryland Scandal, 
She said it is documented that he said he was holding her when she struggled, then holding her down while the doctor injected her, said Shibi. What? Was this a sedative or something more sinister? He testified? He said that under oath? Yeah, that was um from that book. And in the book, God is the Secret Lives of Marilyn Monroe. But wait a second. So the, the police interviewed him, right? After that? Yeah. Robert? So he always denied that he was there. But I guess there was a police deposition that had come to light. That, again, that's in Sandra Shibi's book. I haven't verified that. And another Mm -hmm. book called The Goddess, The Secret Lives of Marilyn Monroe, Anthony Summers said that Robert Kennedy broke off their affair and that subsequently Monroe was threatening to go public. Peter Lawford and Robert Kennedy had decided to take advantage of her addictions by enabling. When the actress overdosed accidentally, she died on the way to the hospital. Her body was then returned to her home where Lawford, Bobby, and FBI director J. J. Edgar Hoover staged her death to look like a suicide. This is further supported by Australian filmmaker Philippe Mora. He said that he found a partially redacted FBI document that suggested that Robert Kennedy had an affair with Monroe, like his brother, Mm -hmm. and that Kennedy was, quote, complicit in a plot to induce her suicide. Peter Lawford with the conspiracy's leader, Monroe's psychiatrist and the housekeeper, along with Pat Newcomb, was also involved in the plot. The FBI file infers that the alleged plot was carried out to silence Monroe, who had threatened to reveal her affairs with the Kennedy brothers. Monroe was thought to be a liability, allegedly keeping records of conversations, detailing highly confidential government information in a little red book. And then there's other conspiracies about the mob. And joining us now is Jim Baker. He is an expert on Marilyn Monroe. He is the author of a new book entitled The Empty Glass, a fact-based thriller about the death of screen icon Marilyn Monroe. Good morning to you. Good morning. It's been 50 years and we are still talking about the rumors surrounding her death. Right. Was it a murder? Did she commit suicide? Which one is it? Uh, what, What do we know here? What have you been able to find? Well, we've been able to find a lot of contradictory information. The fact of the matter is is that um, we we can't say absolutely for sure what has happened here, but there are an enormous number of mysteries that persist. Conflicting testimonies, missing evidence, it just goes on and on and on. So all of that stuff sort of leads to the fact that this remains, you know, one of the biggest mysteries of the 20th century. So what specifically happened the night she died? What do we know? Well, we... There's a lot of, again, you can't quite get to the bottom of any of it, but the baseline is she was living in a house that she had probably bought about six months before in Brentwood, California. She was living with a live-in housekeeper named Eunice Murray. Uh, Eunice said that around midnight of that night, 50 years ago tonight, she found, she went into the hall and she saw a light under Marilyn's door, got concerned about that, knocked on the door, got no answer, called her psychotherapist, The psychotherapist came over, broke the window to her bedroom, got into the bedroom, found her dead on the floor, I'm I'm sorry, on the bed, with the phone in her hand. And this was at 12.30 at night, but they did not call the cops until four hours later. So all of those events don't quite line up. What's the storyline here? What's the issue with that? Is there an issue in that storyline? Well, the issue with that storyline is, first of all, the next day they changed the time frame. So it went from 12.30 to 3 a.m., right? And there's also an, an enormous number of other testimony from people like Peter Lawford, an actor, uh, Joe DiMaggio Jr.'s son, that contradicts that central thesis. I'm just telling you what Eunice Murray said happened. Sure. That was the first version. Your thesis is that she was murdered. No, my, not necessarily. My thesis is she could have been murdered. And who would have done it? 
well, under that thesis? You know, you, I hate to be really speculative here, but you can't get too far in the landscape of this case without running into the name Kennedy. Uh, and I think there's absolutely no doubt at all that the Kennedy brothers were having sexual relations with Marilyn Monroe. Multiple brothers. Yes. Uh, Bobby, the attorney general, JFK, the president of the United States, uh, they sort of handed her off to each other. I don't see how anyone can say that did not happen. Could it have just been really shady, not completely thorough police work? That, you know what, maybe Marilyn Monroe, she really did just commit suicide, and the right investigation didn't take place afterwards. She could have committed suicide, sure. However, the big thing that argues against that was the, the, the amount of drugs that were found in her bloodstream. In order to have the level of drugs that she had in her bloodstream, she would have had to have taken at least 50 sleeping pills in an incredibly short period of time uh, in order to, to get to that, right? And in addition to that, there was no water glass found in her locked bedroom, and there was no water in her locked bedroom. How does that happen? So they supposedly, if I'm understanding this correctly, they supposedly accidentally OD'd her, tried to revive her by calling, you know, the paramedics. They, they're on the way to the hospital. She dies or she dies at the hospital. And the hospital is like, take her back home. I find that really hard to believe that paramedics or the hospital would send a dead body back home. Yeah. The only thing I think would ever, would there be any kind of cover up or anything like that is if. Secret Service or something like that would be involved because you can cover up things. Yeah. I mean, you would have to have... Like if federal police were involved, you could redact and say it's government security. Now, do I think that they colluded with her agent and Murray and the doctor? No. I think she's had a history of these things. Do I think that maybe they upset her more? Yeah. Yes. Do I think that Peter Lawford has some sort of connection? Yeah. Because I mean, he even said he had spoken to her. They had to think he was a go-between, too, with the brothers. I do. I really think he was a go-between. Do you think that he was pro-Kennedy or pro-Monroe? Who was he pro trying to Kennedy. protect? Yeah. Pro-Kennedy. Because that's Definitely. his that's wife's his family. Wife. And, yeah. and that's who got him in all these circles. You know, he was part of, like, you know, the Rat Pack and all the fun stuff. And mm-hmm. I hate to say this, but maybe she did journal and all that. And I know she was attracted to Arthur Miller because of her daddy issues. And yeah. she wanted to be seen as smart and not, like, the dumb blonde and all that. But Do I think she had time to write down every little detail? No, I don't. I mean, between her trying to just stay sober to get to the set and learn her lines and all these Mm -hmm. things, do I think maybe she took some notes sometimes? Yeah, maybe. But I don't think all these people colluded. About the red book. What do you mean by the red book? The diary? The diary? Yes, she had a diary. Yes. Yes, Did you see it? Oh, yes, of course I did. She used to write in it all the time. but not to be In front of you? Oh, sure. But not to be malicious. I see. She was just keeping up with uh, stuff that Bobby said, hoping to get more informed, uh-huh. hoping to be able to be able to converse with him in a, a nicer, easier way. She kept everything, stuff about Hoffa, um, you name it. He should watch Blonde. Anna Darmus does a really fantastic job. She made me buy into the fact that she was Marilyn, put it that way. Really? Even with her accent? Because I heard that she had difficulty with it. She, uh, it's weird. She just kept it breathy. So you, you, once it's just breathy, you don't notice the accent as much. I mean, it was a little bit, but Marilyn never spoke completely normal anyway. It was always very breathy. And so it didn't really affect me. I just thought she did a really good job. 
Marilyn Monroe only exists on the screen. I think the more of the tragedy of her is just her childhood. I think even coming up in the industry days, it was like Harvey Weinstein on crack. Like it was so exploitative. Those plastic surgery she had to get. I mean, there's so much more about yeah. her that was just well, kind of tragic. And her mother had mental issues. Mm-hmm. I mean, that is documented that her mother had. They just married issues. her off too. Like they didn't yeah. even when she was like a teenager and there was abuse and mm-hmm. sexual abuse. There was all kinds of stuff going on with her. Yeah. It's very sad and tragic. Mama, you just got me so high. Someone stop me. I think maybe we should do this every day. Uh, why don't you go first? Okay. Marilyn Monroe, or then known as Norma Jean Baker or Norma Jean Mortison, was born on the 1st of June of 1926. So she was a famous actress, model, and singer. And she was one of the most well-known American actresses that played the archetype of the comedic blonde bombshell roles, basically the airy blonde. That's She was pretty known for that. And she ended up becoming one of the most popular sex symbols of the 1950s. And so by the time of her deaths, her films had made the, about the equivalent of $2 billion today, which was about $200 million in, in that time period. Which is crazy because how do you, I mean, do you know how long she was in the business for? I guess you'll probably get into that. But she was 36 when she died. And I think she got into the business when she was in her 20s to late 20s. But she had some very lean years. I mean, there was times where she said that she had to sleep with men in order to eat because she wasn't eating. She had a couple figures in her life that she felt were like father figures that she was involved with. So, I mean, her climb up the ladder were pretty... Like hard, yeah. Hard. But then I was impressed that by her late 20s to up to 36, that this was her heyday which normally you would think that it would be her early 20s, and it wasn't. So I kind of admire that with the age of ageism back then, or and even to an extent today that she was able to be successful. Oh, yeah, for sure. So Marilyn was born in L.A., and in the first few years of her life, she was in a conservative foster home that actually kind of instilled in her that the movie industry was bad and you know, how scandalous it was. And her mother was a single mother who worked full-time at that point. So she had kind of put her in foster care, but she kind of kept tabs on her. And it was suspected that her boss was her married boss, was her paternal father, but she really didn't know who her father was. And even when she became famous, her father, her that she thought was probably her father, refused to have anything to do with her. So at one point, she even told her classmates that her father was Clark Gable because she thought her father kind of looked like him. And her mother, Gladys, actually kept reinforcing that the mystique of Hollywood and all that. I mean, when Jean Harlow died, she was absolutely devastated. Yeah, I never actually knew any of that about her, which I feel like is something, I don't know, it's something that you would think you would know. Oh, there was so much psychology going because you love psychology. There was so much psychology going on with her. Her mother was very fragile emotionally. She ended up having a, a, a breakdown, a mental breakdown. Her her mm-hmm. mom's friend took this um, interest in her, but she also reinforced into her this fantasy of Hollywood life. And at yeah. the age of seven, her mother retrieved to live with her, but her mom had been like a flapper. And w- along mm-hmm. with her friend Grace, the one that I had just mentioned, at one point, I've heard differing stories around between seven and nine, she was molested. And it was either by a boarder in her mom's home who was, and her mom basically said, I need the money. 
the boarder was giving her candy would basically like suck it up. And then in in another case I had heard that was like a cousin or somebody else who was in that when she was fostering and she went and told her new mother, her foster mother, and the she was slapped and said she was lying. And so it kind of reinforced in her about how her role as a female. After her mom had the nervous breakdown, she was sent back into foster care in an orphanage at one point. Her mother's friend, Grace, kind of took her in at one point. And one of the stories in the molestations was actually Grace's husband was 10 years younger. And she was actually, the, her husband was closer in age to Marilyn. At one point, he said, I'm moving, you're moving with me, and we're not going to take this this girl with us. Her, She got this grand idea because she was her legal guardian at this point that with the neighbor and was said, hey, let's set up your son with Marilyn because I'm legally responsible for her. Let's get her some stability. She was 15 and the boy was 20. And the boy, Doherty, I think his name first name was Jim, was like, hey, mom, this this chick is too young for me. I'm like five, six years older than her. But they went to a dance and they basically convinced Marilyn to marry him, Jim Doherty. And she even said, do I have to sleep with him? Can I can I just marry him and not sleep with him? Like, that's how innocent she was. Aw, yeah. Poor girl. So they get married. He goes off to the Merchant Marines. And in 1944, she was working in a radio plane factory. And she met this photographer from First Motion Picture Unit. And so he was like, can I take your picture? I'm totally giving you, like, the down and dirty. <laughs> like, as if we're talking right now over lunch, the non-technical. So she became a very successful pinup model. I might be totally wrong, but wasn't her first claim to fame Playboy? Yeah. Because she was unknown. Like she wasn't unknown when she made the cover of the first Playboy. So were those the pictures were that that guy took or was it was this a different photo shoot? Do you know? I think this might have been later on because okay. I think in the first one, because there was also that big scandal where she took some naked photos when she was really under a different name and she was like hungry. Mm-hmm. But yeah, she definitely ended up becoming a Playboy pinup. From 46 to 48, she had this short-term contracts with Fox. And when her husband came back from the war, he's like, I don't even recognize you. And they end up getting a divorce because she wasn't playing like housewife and all that at this point. And she actually said that he was like cruel and unusual punishment or whatever that term is back then where you had to explain why you were getting divorced. And some of it was basically like the reasons were he wasn't very nice to her because she was trying to pursue her career kind of thing. That's kind of where you could kind of drill it down to. By 51, she became she starred in a few Fox movies like Monkey Business and Don't Bother Knock. And she ended up becoming frustrated by her top ca- type casting by 54 and her lack of compensation because basically Fox had her locked in. She ended up becoming her popularity as that blonde bombshell comedic actress was, mm-hmm. you know, basically she's the butt of the joke. I was going to say, I think, I can't remember. I want, I took a class, which was about like the film industry once. And I think at this era, it was like all about locking in people. And so it, like their contracts were basically like, you're going to do six movies with us and you're going to make this much money. And like they were stuck. And they especially, I mean, like obviously they didn't pay women as much as men. It sucked because like they would be getting more and more successful in between these films, but they weren't making more money. Exactly. And then they wouldn't do deals with other studios to let them star in their movies. And they would do really horrible things in the contract to like require them to like eat certain things and like maintain a shape or else they would lose their contract. They were so horrible to all of their actors, not just women, but also men. And then sometimes like it took things to get to even get the contracts they would have to perform sexual favors for the heads of studios and things like that. And I didn't go into it too much because I was trying to get to the conspiracy part, but 
Marilyn definitely admitted how she slept with other men because she wasn't eating about some of her benefactors. Some of them have been married, some not, but she definitely talked about how some of the cast, quote unquote, casting couch and how sexist the industry kind of was. I mean, obviously at that time you had to dance around it because you couldn't come out right about it, but she definitely was talking about that at that time. And she had done some tapes, I guess, at some point with her psychiatrist and talked about that. But I mean, even about her early abuse, she ended up coming out about that too. So her private life wasn't as private either because she suffered from substance abuse, depression, anxiety, because she also had two relationships after her first husband that ended in divorce with Joe DiMaggio and Arthur Miller. Like she said, Arthur Miller wanted this sparkly girl he saw on screen and she was just this real girl. Subsequently, they've come out, a lot of the people like her psychiatrist and doctor and stuff came out and said she was manic depressive. Now, today's term for that is bipolar, but at the time they said that manic was actually probably more descriptive of her moods because she would be in very high manic stages or she'd be very depressed. And so then on the 4th of August, 1962, she died of an overdose of barbiturates at her home in LA. And the death was ruled a probable suicide. So then Obviously, that would bring out a lot of conspiracy theories, which would abound since then. Okay, so on to the day she died. She died on August 4th, 1962. Like you said, it was a Saturday morning. She woke up early in her Beverly Hills home and had slept badly. She was cranky, and it was supposedly due to a lack of sleep. Pat Newcomb, who was Marilyn's agent, had stayed over the night before. And even though she was cranky, she was excited about a delivery of furniture from Mexico. Her housekeeper arrived at 8.30, and Eunice Murray claimed that she was already up tiling the floor. Which, by the way, I thought that was really badass. I'm like, who tiles the floor at 8.30 in the morning? I know, right? And Newcomb had awoke at noon, and the two argued. Reportedly, it was the tiling influenced Pat's ability to sleep in, but it blew over. Marilyn and Pat had planned to sunbathe by the pool and then tentatively join the actor Peter Lawford and his wife Patricia Kennedy for dinner. As the morning progressed, Monroe's mood had changed. She was feeling anxious over the arrival of a stuffed toy with no note in the mail. She had made several phone calls. Eunice Murray said that Marilyn asked if they could if they kept oxygen in the house, which was apparently an unusual request. Pat went out shopping, and when she returned, she reported that Monroe was upset. However, Dr. Ralph Greenson, who arrived for his daily visit, stated that Marilyn was in a highly emotional condition. I also think it was interesting that that doctor was had daily visits for her. Oh, he's totally. I feel like he's shady McShades. That is that is super suspicious to me. So he had crossed many a professional line in the past with this patient, for instance, welcoming her into his family like a daughter and then controlling her like a father. For periods, he prescribed her to live in his home to keep her away from other men that he deemed were a danger to her. He had Marilyn send away her personal masseuse to the East Coast, stating that she was a bad influence. He had directed Marilyn to hire Eunice Murray, a housekeeper, companion, and caretaker. Dr. Greenson also admitted he introduced Marilyn to opiates as he was trying to wean her off barbiturates in his belief that it would be less dangerous. The masseuse contended that the doctor took no efforts to get Marilyn off drugs. In fact, that he provided them, which is all, I mean, that's supported by the fact that he made her send away the masseuse. Yeah. Newcomb went out shopping and said that Monroe was upbeat when she returned, but was in a highly emotional condition. Greenson asked Newcomb to leave and then directed Murray to stay overnight with his patient. He left around 7 p.m., which that that sounds a little bit weird in my Mm -hmm. opinion. Yeah, no, I agree. At this point, Marilyn took the phone into her bedroom and was last seen alive by Murray at this point. At 7.30, Lawford rang Monroe. 
he stated that she sounded depressed and slurred. She told him, say goodbye to the president and say goodbye to yourself because you're a nice guy. And then her voice faded out. Joe DiMaggio Jr., her ex-husband's son, contradicted this account. He said he had phoned her at 7.30 p.m. to tell her that he was breaking off an engagement that she did not approve of. Monroe was said to be in very good mood, a very good mood at the news. Eunice Murray stated she woke up and she saw that there was a light under the door. She called Dr. Greenson, feeling that something terrible had happened. They peered into Monroe's bedroom window and saw her naked body. She was face down on the bed, clutching a telephone receiver with an empty bottle of Nebutal capsules at her bedside. Dr. Greenson said he broke in with a poker before he called her physician, Dr. Hyman Engelberg. Also, his name is Hyman. Who names their kid that? Anyway, the window was mended by the time the police arrived. I think that's totally suspicious on both of those things because I would think you would call the physician first. Second of all, how do you mend a window by the time that they arrived? That, yes, exactly. Like that, it's not like who, who has just, I mean, I don't know. It depends on what mended is because I was going to say it's not like they replaced mm-hmm. the window. That takes time. And why would you call the police and not the not the ambulance first? Right. Mm-hmm. So the first conspiracy is suicide. So the probable suicide was the coroner's official verdict, and she had been labeled a professionally unreliable. She had just been previously kicked off a movie because she had like over 17 days that she had called out pill popping, and she was a high-strung depressive woman, and she would suffer rashes, hysteria, sickness, and uh, psychosis illnesses, psychosomatic illnesses when she was triggered by tension or confrontation. And she definitely was afraid of abandonment, obviously, from her childhood issues, daddy issues, and was scared to become like her mother with the nervous breakdowns. And at one point in the past, she had been locked in a padded cell at Payne Whitney Psychiatric Clinic, and her ex-husband, DiMaggio, had to help her get released. And to those that support this theory, she was an aging actress who had been replaced on her last film. Her love life was in shambles. And she was on a downward spiral. They said she looked exhausted. She was thin. Her hair was totally burned out by the bleach. And they also further said that she was known to stage suicide attempts for attention. So it was kind of a persistent pattern. So critics of this theory insist that Monroe had never been happier. She had just bought her first house and at the age of 35 and was remodeling it. Yes, she was taking too much medication and receiving therapy for the end of her marriage, but her career was getting back on track. She had appeared on two magazine covers that week. Fox had rehired her after the ticket sales of Something's Got to Give, and she was due to work on that Monday. Now, both of those things that you just said, suicidal tendencies and then the other things, plug in the fact that she was possibly bipolar, both of those could be true. It's like the suicide part is just when she's in her depressive phase, and then the part that she's happiest is when she's in her manic phase. Both of those could be true and happening. And in 2004, alleged transcripts were published of tapes that Marilyn Monroe had made for Dr. Greenson and gave him on the day she had died, had shown she was far from suicidal. And an acting teacher had released a letter that was written eight months before she died, even though it was eight months, that she was setting up an independent film production company with Marlon Brando and was really excited about it. So let's talk about this doctor and this conspiracy. The time of death for Monroe was called in by the doctor to the police at about 4.25 a.m. on Sunday, August 5th. However, there was evidence that she died about eight hours earlier. Well, I mean, yeah, the doctor could have called in, but he could have also just said it because he that was his first viewing of the body. And so I'll, I'll give him that. I'll allow him to have that. The coroner's report stated that her death was due to massive overdose, but there was no trace of drugs in her stomach or that she had taken the medication orally, which that is very fishy. Yeah, the doctor said that because she was already an addict, maybe her body broke down quicker. Some people, when they overdose, they find them in time and then they can, like, you know, purge the stomach. Yeah. So it's like there, it stays in there 
for some time. And especially, like, if she did die right after taking them, the body's not, like, breaking them down anymore. Like, it's done doing that. So, I mean, the acid's still there, but still, like, they would have been able to find something. And especially, I think they said there was a pill bottle by her. Yeah, there was. Sergeant Jack Clemens of the LAPD stated he believes that the body looked posed on the bed, her legs stretched out perfectly straight, which is not like the usual contorted bodies of most victims who overdose on s- of sleeping pills. Key forensic evidence of that evening went missing shortly after she died. Papers had been destroyed. Telephone records seized. Police friends, a psychiatrist, an attorney, her press agent, all key witnesses contradict with their stories as well have changed them since. Eunice Murray was considered an unreliable witness. That August, Monroe had actually fired her. Her last contracted day was supposed to be Saturday, August 4th, 1963. She also admitted in a BBC interview years later after repeatedly denying that Robert Kennedy had visited Monroe's house for that day. Murray's brother-in-law also was a handyman on the property. He backed up this visit in 1993. The housekeeper also let slip that an ambulance had arrived while the actress was still alive. And also, just a reminder, that she was hired by her doctor. Or by the doctor. So, in the 1993 book, Marilyn Monroe, The Biography, Donald Spoto claimed that it was an accidental overdose because Marilyn lied to her physician and psychiatrist how much medication she was prescribed. The doctors then staged the scene to look like a suicide with the help of Murray due to the possible consequences of this high-profile death. One bizarre, typical fake death theory in the book Marilyn Monroe, Alive in 1984, by John Alexander Baker is that Dr. Greenson committed her to a mental institution in New Brunswick, Canada, because she had a mental breakdown over threats on her life. She wasn't recognized for 20 years and then was released. He stated that he thought she was a homeless, frightened, paranoid schizophrenic in Nova Scotia in 1984. The author had met the woman on the street and she had a similar singing voice and her resemblance was uncanny. He admitted, though, her mental state would make her story hard to believe or hard to be credible. I think happened, even though we're about to talk about the other theories, is that she had plans to go to Peter Lawford's that night or whatever. And even Peter Lawford stated that he was concerned about her that night or whatever. I think they came over that day. She probably got shook by the whole Robert Kennedy visit where he said, bitch, shut up. Then Dr. Greenspan came over, who totally crossed all professional boundaries, probably gave her an enema because she was known to take enemas because of the effects of the barbiturates. Took an enema, gave her too much whatever chemical in the in the enema because he wanted to keep her home and not out and she had an accidental overdose and murray rather than call the ambulance called him because she was that was her last day of work why and she's never slept over before that's really suspect you just got fired and now you're staying over with her and he sent away her manager and all that i think that it was an accidental overdose. I think he freaked out, came over. They tried to hide evidence of it, planted the bottle, the whole the whole thing. I think he ca- probably called the physician because maybe the physician was also prescribing stuff. It, and they were both afraid of how it would look on their careers. They staged the whole suicide I thing. And I, would, I think it was accidental. And I think the medical dude was trying to protect his own reputation and the fact of the yeah. inquiry on him. Yeah, I could see that. That definitely makes sense. But that's just me. That's just what I think. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know a lot. I feel like you know more about this, especially considering you did the research. <laughs> but I'm following you. <laughs> it makes sense. But you're buying into it, right? It I am. Plausible. I <laughs> You're buying off of it. See? <laughs> so the next theory is the Kennedys. Marilyn Monroe's alleged relationship with the two Kennedys brothers is involved with a lot of the theories around her death. She was rumored to be sleeping with the president, especially after she sang happy birthday to JFK at his birthday party in May 1962 at Madison Square Garden. On a side note, he cheated on his wife, but it was kind of known to be like 
I don't mean to be crass here, but quickies. I don't feel like it was mm-hmm. this in-depth affair. It might have been... Weren't there, there pictures, though, of their affair? Him, like, having his arms around her and his, like, face snuggled up to her neck. Yeah, I mean, I could see it being a flirtation, but she actually spent more time and intensive time with Robert Kennedy, who's more emotional of the two brothers. Obviously, was a threat to the president. You wouldn't want that to get out, especially if he's talking about re-election. But I feel like Robert Kennedy was probably more of the one to was a little bit more intensive in it. And the thing is, though, is that both of them kind of cut her off. JFK after the happy birthday thing, because it was so public. And then Robert Kennedy was like hitting the beach with her in disguise and all these things. And I think he eventually thought it was too visible and cut her off. And what's her fear? Abandonment. Yeah. Besides knowing too much or threatening to reveal too much, the Kennedys may have been upset that she kept a diary filled with incriminating information she overheard from them. And so her hairdresser, Sidney Gulleroff, had stated that Monroe called him twice, quite upset that day that Robert Kennedy had been at her house with Peter Lawford, threatening her, which kind of makes sense with some of the other accounts that have come forward. Yeah. And they said that the last phone call Monroe made was to the White House. And like, who did she speak to? Did she call JFK to complain that Robert was by? Yeah. Or did she actually end up talking to Jackie? Like, it's kind of weird. Like, who has the phone number to the White House? And just like... I was just I was just thinking of that. I'm like, who calls the White House? <laughs> exactly. And who, like, can just get through to, you know... Robert Kennedy had always denied being in Los Angeles at that time. But in the 1980s, a police deposition came to light where he admitted being in Monroe's house with Greenson. So basically, he supposedly was being smuggled out that night to try to prove that he hadn't been there. There was a police deposition stating that he had been in L.A. at that time. And in Sandra Sheevy's book, The Maryland Scandal, she said, it's documented that he said he was holding her when she was struggled. Then holding her down while the doctor injected her, says Sheevy. Was this a sedative or something more sinister? I feel like if that was the case, there would be bruising. Or at least some sort of thing like that you could see on her body. Evidence of a struggle, essentially. Greenson said that she became emotional during his session with her. Newcomb said she was in good spirits beforehand. If you go out to YouTube, they say they have autopsy photos of her, and I refuse to look at them because I feel like I'm being disrespectful. But there is autopsy photos on YouTube of her. That's crazy. They posted them out there. In the book, Goddess, The Secret Lives of Marilyn Monroe, Anthony Summers said that Robert Kennedy broke off their affair and that subsequently Monroe was threatening to go public. Peter Lawford and Robert Kennedy had decided to take advantage of her addictions by enabling. So when the actress overdosed accidentally, they saw an opportunity to kind of exploit this. And they said that she died on the way to the hospital. Her body was then returned to her home where Lawford, Bobby, and FBI director J. Africa Hoover staged her death. Oh, so it goes to the top. Yeah. So I don't believe this account. And I'll tell you why. I feel like those ambulance drivers would have said something. They wouldn't have kept a secret. Second of all, J. Edgar Hoover loved to collect dirt on people. I can't see him going out of his way to help anything to stage any cover-ups. Yeah, that's true because it's dirt on him. Yeah. So this is further supported by Australian filmmaker Philip Mora. He said that he found a partially redacted FBI document that suggested that Robert Kennedy had an affair with Monroe like his brother, the president. Kennedy was complicit in a plot to induce her suicide. And Peter Lawford was conspiracy's leader, Monroe's psychiatrist, and the housekeeper, along with Pat Newcomb, was also involved with the plot. I don't feel like Newcomb was involved because she was sent away. I do feel like something was going on with Murray and Greenson. Yeah. 
I agree. The FBI file infers the alleged plot was carried out to silence Monroe, who had threatened to reveal her affairs with the Kennedy brothers. Mm -hmm. Monroe was also thought to be a liability, allegedly keeping records of conversations detailing highly confidential government information in a little red book. Also, that time period was really big into, like, the spy stuff. So I could even see her having, like, tapes and wiretaps and stuff. Mm -hmm. Okay, so now I'm going to talk about the mob. Oh, man. This is such an Italian name. Giacana. And there's so many... Giacana, thank you. Sam Giacana, a Chicago mob bot. I like studied abroad in Italy. You think I would know? Nope. <laughs> well, you're going to Chicago so, soon. I'm telling you, you'll be all over this. There we go. I'll know about it then. <laughs> so he allegedly gave orders to have her murdered. His brother and godson, Chuck and Sam Giacana, wrote the book Double Cross. They contend that she was killed to send a message to Robert Kennedy to back off of the mob as attorney general. Bernard Spindell, a renowned wiretapper, had bugged her house possibly on the orders of Jimmy Hoffa or Sam G. Spindell claims he heard Kennedy and Monroe fighting with Lawford present. There was then a loud bang, which Spindell thought was the moment of her death. Which I don't believe because that's not what she died of. (laughs) Exactly. I was like, the loud bang doesn't make sense in any way, shape, or form. Recordings were supposed to have been seized and destroyed in 1966. In Darwin Porter's book, Marilyn at Rainbow's End, Sex, Lies, Murder, and the Great Cover-Up, Sam Giacana wanted her dead because she was threatening to reveal secrets she knew from her relationship with his henchman, Johnny Roselli. Uh, This is a quote from Porter. A lot of people had a lot to lose if Marilyn spoke out. She was making a lot of dangerous statements and didn't realize she was playing with the big boys. I think Marilyn got in over her head. Porter believes that five mafia men were responsible for her murder on the order of Giacana using a washcloth drenched in chloroform, then stripping Monroe and giving her a barbiturate enema. That's pretty crazy if that's how they killed her. Mm-hmm. I mean... Via enema. The... Well, so like the bat, the bang. That doesn't make any sense. But I think if they did like broke into a door, that's where the bang could come into play. Mm-hmm. That's what I was thinking too. I just think Greenspan's account of him breaking through a window and then all of a sudden it being repaired doesn't make sense. I just Mm -hmm. feel like somebody administered an enema that night and they messed up. Mm -hmm. That's what I think. So the last conspiracy is kind of, is kind of out there, but it has to be mentioned because it has been featured in documentaries and all that. There's this bizarre theory in the documentary, Unacknowledged, Dr. Stephen Greer, a conspiracy theorist, which your mom and I would probably, our parents would probably prescribe to, (laughs) claims Monroe was murdered by the CIA because she knew too much about Roswell and planned to reveal all. He states that he has a classified CIA memo written two days before the actress's death. JFK is said to have told Marilyn he had seen evidence of things from outer space at, sec- at a secret airbase, inferring the Roswell UFO, New Mexico, crashed in 47. And so Greer believes she was threatening to hold a press conference to expose all their pillow talk. And another theory involving the CIA that was put forth in the book, Victim, The Secret Tapes of Marilyn Monroe by Matthew Smith claims that the agency knew of their affair between Monroe and Robert Kennedy she was killed by the CIA in order to get back at the Kennedys for the invasion. Well, I think another thing that isn't mentioned in this mm-hmm. list, but I okay, I don't know the details about it. I only know a little bit. Yeah. Was originally going to cover the JFK's death, the conspiracy theory of that um, with Blake, who's from Tap Snaps, because he knows so much about it. And yeah, he mentioned how all of JFK's lovers had died by like of really weird circumstances and including like Marilyn and her suspicious suicide. So it's mm-hmm. like she was killed and then also he was killed. So there could be something there. I don't know enough details, obviously, to. Yeah. Did he tell you about Mary Pinchot Myers? Yes. Mm-hmm. 
she th- where she died is not too far from me on the towpath on the canal yeah i was gonna actually go out there and actually see the spot because it's not that far from here oh that's weird <laughs> I feel like that was not random. I don't know. I, they say it was random, but it's just a very suspect thing. That's that's the thing. It's like it could be like her death and JFK's death could be linked too. Don't you think it's really weird in cases like how his killer was killed mm-hmm. by Jack Ruby and all that? There's just, I mean, again, when you have cover-ups, and you probably know this from your show, when you have cover-ups... It can only be covered up so much if there's too many parties yes. involved. And it, it gets it just gets so messy, too. And then stories cross. Everybody starts telling a different story. Yeah, whole thing. But then when you get involved in this time period where there was all this Cold War stuff going on and the mob and all that, then it's like, okay, mm-hmm. maybe there is something a little yeah. off about stories, you Definitely. know? Okay. So, in conclusion... As Monroe's body was wheeled out of the house, it passed over a tile embedded in the entrance of the hacienda with a Latin inscription, Cursum Perficio, I'm going with it, which translates as, <laughs> which translates as, I have run the course or my journey ends here. That's so sad, isn't it? Like, it's definitely fishy. She wasn't, she did not, it wasn't suicidal. I 100% believe it was not suicide. I agree with you. I don't think it was suicide. What exactly happened? I don't know. I do think her doctor was involved in one way or another. Mm-hmm. And, I agree uh, with that too. Same with her, like, housekeeper. I think she was also involved in one way or another. How they were involved, I don't know. I don't feel confident about any of those, but I know for, like, I feel very, very confident in the fact that she was not, it was not suicide and that her doctor had something to do did with it. Did you, you didn't do the Lindbergh baby yet, did you? No, I haven't. I feel like in that case, the maid was somehow involved. The one I think she ended up committing suicide later. I think Eunice Murray was the same thing. Like she's kind of a pawn, or she went and she was like the middleman, or she went and told Greenston, yeah, or something like that. But she wasn't fully complicit, but just complicit by like ignorance or didn't. I think it, yeah, I was gonna say I think she he's you have to help me, you have to do all this, blah blah blah. But I don't think he knew she knew the end goal. Yeah, like I don't I think totally she agree. knew the result. Yeah, and that had to have been awkward that night where. When Marilyn had yeah. fired her, that was supposed to be her last night at work. That's kind of weird. Even if you're supposed to be involved in this plot or whatever, and maybe the doctor's like, just keep checking on her, blah, blah, blah. If it, that's awkward. Like, I wouldn't want to be around an employer who had fired me. Like, that's so awkward. So she probably, like, wasn't really doing a great job checking in on her or anything like that. And I think Greenson had this major control issue with her. Oh, absolutely. It was very weird. Chill, darling. Still too early to go to Tiffany's. I guess the next best thing is a drink. I will never be the woman with the perfect hair who can wear white and not spill on it. All right, Mr. DeMille, I'm ready for my close-up. me again and you thought you probably had enough of my voice by now just a quick reminder to find us and follow us on instagram twitter and facebook at miss intrigue pod 
Follow us on Pinterest and Flipboard where we collect featured stories from across the internet of royalty, chronicles of interesting events in history, and of course, true crime. Lastly, check out our YouTube channel because everyone has one, right? That features playlists of documentaries and other related segments from our podcast topics. And if you want to hit us up, check out misdeedsandintriguepodcast.com. But we don't have a complaints department, just to give you a little heads up. The podcaster or authors assumes no responsibility or liability for any errors or omissions in the content of this podcast. The information contained on this podcast is an as-is basis with no guarantees of completeness, accuracy, usefulness, or timeliness. A reasonable amount of effort was made to deliver precise data. All views expressed by the podcast hosts or guest co-hosts are their own and do not necessarily represent the opinions of any entity whatsoever with which Carrie, Misdeeds, or Intrigue Podcast, or Larissa have been, am now, or will be affiliated. The content of this podcast is for personal, informational, and entertainment purposes only, and is not to be viewed for commercial use. Misdeeds and Intrigue Podcast respects the intellectual property of others. Any audio clips that were not generated by the podcast host or producer was pulled from the public domain, free use sites, and or from YouTube, or other authorized sites to gather information. The utmost effort was made to credit the author and or production. If at any time you feel that copyright was infringed, please email carrie at misdeedsandintriguepodcast.com and immediate action will be taken to remove the audio clips that were present for entertainment purposes only.